Hello and welcome to Transplaner RPG. We are an all transgender, person of color led, dark fantasy actual play channel featuring homebrew stories that center non colonial, anti orientalist world building and campaigns about queerness, grief, hope, and the power of love. Godkiller First Blood is a 16 part podcast miniseries that follows a mythic, violent, and transformative tale about a single mortal rising against the challenges of the divine. Tonight, your god is me, Connie Chong, and my god killer is C. Thomas. First Blood is a dark fantasy series that explores themes that may be triggering for some listeners. Content warnings for this episode include fantasy violence, body horror, classism, poverty, religious imagery, immolation and fire, death of loved ones, heights, falling, vast and unknowable depths, complex and complicated relationships, romance and sexual innuendo, alcohol and drug use, and brief references to child labor, carceral oppression, and cannibalism. Episode 1. Heretic. Once upon a time, the gods loved us. They descended from the river in the sky and taught us how to worship. They taught us how to speak and build homes and cook food and drink wine. They taught us what to do and what not to do, how to think and how not to think. They taught us to pray, to obey, to worship, to devote. And finally, after we had proven our faith, the gods taught us magic. Once upon a time, the gods loved us. And then the river dried up, and the gods were stuck here, and their magic was running out. The star was the first of the 22 major gods to die. He was slain by the watchful eye of his brother, the world, which we now call the Witness. His head was mounted in the sky for all to gaze upon and tremble beneath. The other gods, the twenty major and fifty-six minor, gazed as well and learned. They learned that killing brought power and magic and survival and pleasure. Soon, another god was slain, then another, and another. The corpses of fallen deities now litter our endless city, serving as monuments to the viciousness of divinity, the utter cruelty of desperation. Where the slain bodies of gods reside, so too do the dead zones. Pockets of irradiated divinity swarming with curses, monsters, wicked magic. The devouring, as we now call it, is an age of blood and fear, and it persists to this very day. So drink my tears, Godkiller, and wet your cheeks with my blood. I have been awaiting your arrival for 10,000 lifetimes. What's one more? 
The cradle will know your deeds, your sins, your trophies, your epithets. Your arteries will run gold with the name of every god you'll kill. You will die, and your body will be interred in the parched banks of the dried-up river, and your enemies will weep, and I will weep, and you will finally rest. The Cradle The name of the realm our tragedy now unfolds within is an endless city. Skyscrapers rake the horizon from end to end. There are gothic cathedrals, temples of wood and stone, trash-packed alleyways, emerald parks hemmed in by gray boulevards, greenhouses, train stations, power plants, landfills, arboretums, hospitals, prisons, schools. All manner of masonry of structures, of systemic architectural monuments to powers mundane and divine. A long time ago, the train lines ran, the schools were packed, the churches were filled, the streets hummed with cars and wealth and weapons. Now, the cradle is a ghost of its former self. A post-apocalyptic wasteland marked by shattered glass, centuries-old pile-ups of cars on clogged highways, and irradiated monsters that menace the dead zones, pocketing the six districts. These districts are, of course, in order of ascending importance to our story, the District of Cups ruled by the dogmatic and bullish Hierophant, who controls worship and devotion. The District of Coins, ruled by the mercurial and whimsical Wheel of Fortune, who controls trade and industry. The District of Wands, ruled by the passionate and lustful Magician, who controls invention and artistry. The District of Swords, ruled by the merciful Emperor and his merciless Empress, who control violence and authority. The District of the Below, ruled by the impartial and unyielding Judgment, whom we call Judge, who controls punishment and justice. And finally, the District of the Above, ruled by the loving and paranoid world, whom we call Witness, who controls knowledge and history. These gods are each served by a mortal speaker and a mortal champion. The speaker interprets and carries out their god's will while the champion serves the speaker with strength and might at all costs. Four of these districts Cups, coins, wands, and swords fan out from the center of the cradle like wedges on a clock. The below is, well, below everything, and the above is above. Together, these six districts and the seven gods that rule them control the citadel, the powerful center of the cradle, as well as the many hundreds of miles of land fanning out from it. The vast majority of sapient civilization resides within the control of the Six, but even gods have their limits. The edges of the Six's domain are known as the Fringe, and the Fringe is full of dead zones, monsters, cannibals. 
gods that eat each other for survival, power, or simply the sheer pleasure of it. The domain of the Six is not so lawless. Here, major and minor gods alike are forbidden from violating the law of abstention, an uneasy concordat that ensures gods cannot kill each other. Deities found guilty of violating the law of abstention are put before the judge and summarily executed. The balance of power between the six is supposedly equal, but always tenuous. For now, however, the balance holds. But no matter where you live in the cradle, no matter who you are, one truth remains constant. If you are a mortal, then you are born, you live, and you die under the yoke of divinity. For only a god can kill another god. Iron 42 is a dirt-poor mining town on the forgotten outskirts of the Swords District. The settlement is three miles wide and over a dozen miles deep. From above, Iron 42 resembles an open pit mine, but instead of sandstone walls or tiered steps of granite and rock, the walls of Iron 42 are made of buildings. Skyscrapers with cracked skin exposing metal tendons and flesh beaten into the earth like fence posts. Cathedrals with obliterated walls and ceilings smashed against each other like a stained glass assistily. Houses, missing doors, missing windows, missing floors. Ancient folk tales claim that before the devouring, the surface of Iron 42 was once a bustling downtown district. Now, it's a dead hole in the ground. And that hole goes down. Down past the crooked pylons and sparking wires, the slabs of cracked concrete, the glistening veins of plastic. We descend through these layers of sediment of stone and wood and filth until the ground bottoms out to reveal the subterranean heart of Iron 42, the town's true form. A vast underground settlement carved from the corpses of demolished buildings built around a hole. We see oily structures of rebar and iron, houses of wood, stone, hide, nets with frayed edges dangling off balconies to catch the drunkards who might fall into the hole after one too many. A hole gapped by wooden bridges, swinging rope, ladders, nets, but a hole nonetheless. And at the bottom of that hole, so far down that the light of the gas lamps can't even reach it, is the god of Iron 42. Athamos, the Ten of Wands, the unsighing toil, vassal to the Emperor and Empress. It is within this sea of rebar and ashen divinity that our tale now begins. The year is 1024 AD, a thousand and twenty-four years after the start of the devouring. The day is Tuesday. It is three o'clock in the afternoon, but you wouldn't be able to tell down here anyway. The light from the dead star that hangs in the sky doesn't reach Iron 42. None of these details necessarily matter. What does matter 
is that today is the day Rune kills the devil. Rune, how does your fateful day in Iron 42 begin? Eat my dust, you fucking shitheads! And Rune jumps, with a stolen pack of cigarettes being tucked underneath the breastplate of their vest, the shoddy-looking undershirt stained already with dirt, coal, mine dust. Rune free falls down, down, maybe 10, 15 feet before they reach out and grab onto an iron, just a piece of iron sticking out of one of these huge dilapidated sized skyscrapers as they pull themselves up and swing themselves onto a little tiny piece of a wooden bridge as they start to make their way down, 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 deeper into Iron 42. And maybe there are some calls from behind them as the caravan of, you know, sword supply wagon coming through, obviously not stopping in Iron 42 because who the fuck would stop and give actually good goods to Iron 42? But you know what? Rune needed a pack of smokes and here we are and they are swinging down, running, generally causing mayhem, as they are wont to do as an 18-year-old heretic. Yeah, I think behind you we hear a lot of like clanging and banging and, hey, wait, stop, that's not yours, uh, as like a, a couple of brave swords detach themselves from this caravan and try to chase you down this open pit mine that is broken buildings that is Iron 42. And we see that swords, well, swords, of course, they are the mortal enforcers of divine will in the cradle, who all answer directly to the citadel. And kind of like rats and kind of like plague, they're found everywhere in the six districts, and they work a wide variety of jobs. And the swords all wear a kind of dull, well-oiled half-plate armor over padded cloth with leather helms that fasten with a rope under the jaw. And true to their title, swords are also equipped with a short sword and a buckler. Uh, but right now, this metal armor, the shield, the boots, the cloth, it is definitely way too clunky for Iron 42. And they keep tripping over themselves. Like you see one of them like stumble over like the edge of a, of a ledge and like bam, 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 tumble, 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 and like hit his head like against like a piece of rebar that just sticks out from the side. <laughs> Careful, buddy. If you fall all the way down, you'll hit Athamas's mouth. That's bl blasphemy. Uh, but they, they just kind of curse your name as they're unable to be dexterous enough to follow you down. Down past the surface level of Iron 42, down to sub-level. One, two, three, four. You're just swinging and running and like free run your way down there, right? So as you kind of leave these swords in the dust, like literally coughing in your wake, we kind of like swivel around and see you from the front as you're in full motion. What do you look like, Rune? Rune is young. But as many people in Iron 42 tend to be, there are already like lines of soot kind of caked into the corners of their face. They have a very sharp jawline, a strong nose, this kind of wavy dark brown hair that is now like kind of floating around their face as they're falling down, down, down. Dark storm gray eyes that kind of reflect the iron and the steel and the rock and the stone and the detriment that's all around them. They're well-muscled, you know, they work in the mines nine months out of 12, just like everybody else does down here. And their hands are well calloused from already at least four years working in the mines at 18. 
but they are focused. This, again, like kind of intensity as this broken smile like cracks across their face as they look behind them. No, there is no fucking way in hell that those bastards are gonna catch up with them. Uh, and they don't slow their pace as they go down past seven, there's eight. They carefully run along the edge of a like tent flap overlooking a bakery that's just kind of, I think, like hanging out over this open pit as they're like going down, down, down this like circular, circular path all the way down deeper and deeper into Iron 42. And they start to say hello to people as they are passing, you know, like a little, oops, sorry, Molly, like as they're like running past and almost step over a fresh loaf of bread. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, Molly, who you, of course, know as Ellery's wife, uh, this kind of like stout woman, she's like literally putting bread out to rest as you come down and like just miss it by like a half step. What you, uh, Rune, watch your step. You know, yeast is rare. Oh, don't worry. Lots of girls got yeast. Bye. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, Molly looks stricken. Like you just slapped her as you go down, but then like, as like you, you descend past her, she like, ugh, like rolls her eyes and smiles a little bit and, and tuts, right? And then like pulls the bread in slightly <laughs> just in case there are other heretics trying to tumble their way down. Uh, and as you make your way past like sub-level six, sub-level seven, sub-level eight, we kind of see Iron 42, just like this big vista open up around you. It's like a vast, just underground town filled with swinging rope and wooden bridges and all of these little like apartments and hovels and little shelters and shacks peeking out from like the rock walls all around you, as well as the broken buildings that Iron 42 was built into and around. And eventually Rune, I think under the uh, flickering light of the gas lamps that hang every couple meters from like a wooden posts, you finally land on sub-level 12 which is the final sub-level before the mine shafts begin. It's kind of like the, the last bit of residential and commercial area in Iron 42. Rune's feet like hit that piece of like hard packed concrete earth. Their knees buckle a little bit <sighs> and they immediately fall into stride next to Zhang who's there waiting for them. They're pretty much still moving and they like glance up they check their wrist, looking at this like kind of cracked, broken watch that doesn't even seem to be running at all. It seems to be completely still. And they go, seven and a half minutes from the top. And Zhang turns to look at you as you land, like a light sheen of athletic sweat over your body and says, that's gotta be a new record for you. Yeah, but Aaliyah's still at like 520. I don't even know how this, how the hell am I supposed to get two minutes off of my best time? Fuck. <laughs> well, I wouldn't compare yourself against Aaliyah. She's the best free runner among us. And as we turn to look at this person, Xiang, we see a tall, broad, dependable person. Their shoulders are wide and muscular and they wear this practical leather armor with cloth padding at the joints for maneuverability. And their skin is this light brown, it's tough and calloused from many years of hard labor, even though they're not from Iron 42, uh, and their eyes are the color of coal. And so is Xiang's hair, which they kind of like part around their face in the front and keep in a top knot in the back, uh, and a kind of like messy mullet that goes down regardless. And slung across Xiang's back 
is the biggest axe you've ever seen. It looks like a lump of barely refined steel, kind of like hammered viciously uh, onto a hardy wooden handle. It's ugly as hell, it's sharp, and it gets the job done. At least you're not the most late person to show up right now, which is honestly a surprise for me. It's like my third mission, okay? I'm, I'm not late, really, to most things. I'm on time, see? Oh, I'm here. Sub-level 12, just like you asked me to be, and I wasn't followed. And I got a pack of cigarettes. You're welcome. <laughs> and Yang holds out a hand for, like, for a cigarette uh, as he sort of, like, wave it in the air. And next to them, Reksha lets out a bit of a tisk. We really shouldn't be encouraging such wanton behavior, Yang. And Reksha is shorter than Yang by two heads, but she is equally imposing. She is a five foot six bulldozer of a woman uh, with this kind of short, coarse, thick gray hair cropped bluntly at the chin. And her eyes are the same color of gray as her hair, very sharp and piercing, like lightning forking through storm clouds. And the skin of her mouth is wrinkled from laughing a lot. And the skin of her forehead is also wrinkled from frowning a lot. And Reksha is not visibly armed, unlike Jiang, but you, Rune, know that her leather gauntlets, which look slightly larger and more padded than Reksha, regular leather gauntlets hide her claws, which are kind of steel assassin's blades that can sort of pop out at a moment's notice. Well, I suppose with you and the 20-odd other heretics gone, Iron 42 is going to be a heck of a lot quieter. I knew that, and I had to make sure that you weren't bored all day, Rekcha. Besides, it's not like they're actually stopping to give us supplies, and we need supplies. I tried to grab a chicken, but um, it pecked me. A chick, a live, a, a live chicken? I swear. Huh. Uh, Diang chimes in. That's rare. Well, you should have grabbed it. I tried, I told you, but it, it attacked me. It attacked my hand. So you can spar all day with Tiang and Freya and Clarion, but you can't grab a single chicken from a loosely guarded sword caravan. I wouldn't say loosely guarded. There were like seven of them and it made a lot of noise. It's the reason I had to run in the first place. Yeah, that's right, Reksha. I mean, come on, we can't expect everyone to be able to pull off something that, well, Aaliyah might be able to. Hey, hold on. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Rude, I'm just kidding. I'd like to see Aaliyah steal as many smokes as I have. You'd like to see Aaliyah steal one now? Uh-huh. And kind of landing, poof, almost silently behind you is of course Aaliyah. Uh, she's a couple years older than you, maybe five or six. Uh, she's got this dark brown skin and these braids that are sort of like tied up into a ponytail that cascades down her back in this like this waterfall of braids. And she's smiling and she is tossing in one hand an apple, a freaking apple. She's tossing it up and down and you see there's already a bite out of it. Fresh fruit, really? You really had to outdo me like that? Fresh fruit. Well, let's just say while swords guarding the caravan may or may not have been distracted by a bunch of clucking and a bunch of cigarettes, I could have stolen two of these. And you see the red apple and the green apple. Oh, seriously? Oh, come on. I I'll, I'll, listen, I I'll do gravel duty for two weeks for you the next time we're on shift together. Really? Two weeks? Two weeks? Hmm. Two weeks of gravel duty. How about one week of gravel duty per bite? That's... That's... It's fair. Or maybe you could have zero weeks of gravel duty and zero no, 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 bites. No, 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 no
you know me, we're, we're friends at this point, right? We look out for each other. One day of gravel duty for each bite. Knock yourself out. And Aaliyah tosses you the green apple. Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> Rune catches it out of the air and kind of marvels at it for a moment. Look, it's even got a stem on it. Fuck. That's nice. I'll write you a poem if you eat the stem. And kind of like just coming out of the shadows like to your right. Like she was kind of there the whole time, but she's really good at blending into the shadows is Opal. And she's only a few years older than you. She's like the youngest of this group of heretics after you. Uh, so you're 18, she's like 21, 22. She comes out, she's kind of this like starved wraith of a girl, right? Like very pale uh, with this like brown hair parted around her face and these two, two wisps. And she like looks at you kind of intensely. Uh, but even though she's a little weird, uh, you know, she's a she's a poet and like she she seems to like you which is unusual because she doesn't seem to like anyone else really in the heretics she's kind of standoffish rune slings an arm over her shoulder mm -hmm. and immediately just kind of bites the apple from the top to include the stem because i don't really know how often they've eaten an apple <laughs> apples generally speaking so they just kind of go for it on the top <laughs> including the stem would you like to do as you're told <laughs> This is how we're gonna use your first move? Fuck yeah, why not? <laughs> yes. Okay, do as you're told is a mortal move. And when you do as you're told, say how you show submission and answer one. Uh, I mean, Rune knows that this is more of like dare kind of situation, but they're not one to ever turn down pretty much any situation, good or bad. So in that way, it's kind of a like, hey, Rune, why don't you do this this thing that's probably not something you should do? And Rune just goes, yeah, okay, hold hold my hat. I'll do it now. And I will answer, ooh. It's either how are you rewarded or what vulnerability do you reveal as you bite into the stem of the apple? The vulnerability that I'm going to reveal is as Rune bites into the stem, their eyes kind of like flick up and in this very youthful way, like they're very much like gauging every single person's face as the 21 are like starting to come and like finally join the circle of all the heretics going on this mission. Their eyes like flick up to each face to, to find like the affirmation, to find like who's smiling, who's like trying to hide their face behind their hands. They're, they're looking for affirmation. They're looking for love of a, of a found family that they have. Mm. So the move says the GM will show you a glimpse of their true intentions and then answer the other unanswered question. So as you look around at these like 21 other heretics that are here, well, 22 if we also count uh, Reksha, and you see like all of your friends sort of land, right, from various shoots, various ladders, various ropes shimming down, like emerging from the shadows until there's like a, a, over like a dozen heretics here. And as you look around for affirmation, for praise, for like approval, you find it. You find it in Opal who kind of smiles as you bite into the stem. You find it in Aaliyah who kind of laughs and sort of like pats you on the back as you like gulp down the stem and choke on it a bit. Uh, you find it in Reyna, who's the other like youngest person here. Uh, she's Vistar's granddaughter here, of course. So we see this like older man, he's like 70 something, but still a heretic, still swinging. And his granddaughter Reyna stepping out. Uh, as they step out of the shadows, they're in like an age old argument that they're always in, right? Vistar's going, oh, 
It's too dangerous, Reyna. Hell, even I was 20 when I joined the heretics. Yeah, Grandpa, I know, but I want to make a difference and look, Rune's eating an apple wrong. Uh, <laughs> turning around and looking at you, right? Like we see the affirmation coming from Bronwyn, who is easily the biggest person here, like almost seven feet tall, like huge, massive, even more muscled than Xiang, but very gentle, you know? And we see these two cats on Bronwyn's shoulders. Like one is this kind of like big, mm, not very bright looking orange cat. And the other one's a kind of like slender, like black and white tuxedo cat. Who's like looking a bit disdainfully around at everyone. And Bronwyn's going, Beetle, you have to be nice to Bug while I'm gone, okay? And, and Bug, be nice to Beetle and- and hey, hey, Bronwyn, can cats eat apples? Oh, um, yes. Okay, you want some? Come on, Bugsy. Uh, Beetle. Come on, Beetle. <laughs> Beetle eagerly, like this orange tomcat, bats a little paw forward and like tries to go for it. But then Bug, this like a uh, black tuxedo cat, like holds out a paw and you see Bug like push Beetle's paw down. <laughs> oh, maybe they can't eat apples. Ah, more for me then. They can't even do gravel duty. And I'll also answer how you're rewarded. Opal. Pipes up behind you. Big teeth chomping down. Head of the apple consumed. I'm glad Rune didn't- Oh no, that's six syllables. Glad Rune didn't choke. There's a poem for you. Thanks, Opal. You always write such, uh, visceral. <laughs> it's always really visceral. Oh, thanks. Well, you know what they say about art. What do they say? Art is pain. Oh, and most things in the cradle are pain. Have you ever considered that maybe art should be something other than pain? Hmm. And Opal cocks her head, like her wisps like fall to the side as she looks at you. Like she's never really considered that before. Well, I only ever really write what I know, but maybe after tonight, maybe there will be better than just pain in the cradle. <laughs> And, and Rune almost like laughs a little bit <laughs> giddy. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it's risky. And they look kind of sideways at Xiang for that approval again, like that level-headed approval. But it's happening. It's really happening. And as that like sense of giddiness like rises up inside you, as if on cue, Xiang sort of claps his uh, hands together. All right, everyone, heretics. We all know what we are here to do tonight. If this goes as planned, everything's gonna change for the better. Not just for us, not just for Iron 42, but maybe, maybe eventually for the Cradle too. Rekja will be taking my place as leader of this particular cell in Iron 42 while we are gone for expedition, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't be gone too long, Rekja. And Reksha, this like five foot six, like gray haired woman, like steps up, <clears throat> clears her throat. Speech! Uh, yes. Thank you, Rune. And there's like a, a giggle <laughs> from people as Reksha sort of like shoots you down a bit. I'm going to say the thing I always say whenever any of us go out on mission don't be stupid and don't die. Reksha, everybody! Woo! Your second in command. Yeah! 
And of course, because Rexha's staying behind to mind business in 942 while we're gone, uh, Freya will be my second in command here for this particular mission. And Freya steps forward. She is this well-muscled woman with like a, a gnarly scar running across her face. It looks like a grizzly bear attacked her and she won. Uh, and we, you know her, uh, Rune, as being a former like fighting pit champion from a different town who came here on heretic business. And she has like a, her head is shaved on the sides and like a shock of red hair that's like dyed crimson is like hanging in front of her eyes, which are electric blue. She sort of crosses her scarred arms over a muscular chest and nods imposingly. All right then, let's commit some heresy that'll make King Morius III, speaker of swords, eyes roll back in his head, yeah? <laughs> do, you, do you think that they'll hear about it? All the way in the Citadel? Do you think they'll know? Do you think people will come? I'm confident people will come. And I'm confident people will hear of it. And I'm confident that this is the eve of a massive change. We've been working toward something like this our entire lives. It has to work. It's going to work. And with that, uh, Xiang and you and like the 20 other heretics all start funneling toward this kind of like a blocked off entrance into the mines. Uh, and as you do, like Reksha is sort of like patting each of you on the back as you go, like, yes, yes, mind the explosions. Don't be stupid, don't die. And is patting each of you on the back as you're like going past. Uh, do you say anything to Reksha as you, as you go into the mines? You know, you talked all of that, but and Rune reaches into like their breast pocket and pulls one of the cigarettes out of the box. All right, and Rexha just sort of snatches it and sort of like folds it <laughs> in like her breast pocket, right underneath her plate armor. You're welcome. Uh, and even though she looks a little annoyed, there, there's a crack of like softness under that like wrinkled face, right? Like she kind of gives you a stern look, but there's like, a bit of a smile curling at her lips. Aaliyah, watch after that one. Aye aye, Rexha. Come on, Rune. And Aaliyah slings a, like an arm over your shoulders. You ready to go into your first dead zone? Yeah, I, I mean, yeah. And, and yeah, no, I've been training for this for a while now. And dead zones aren't that bad, right? Just hear horror stories about them constantly. There's like nothing bad that can happen in there, right? Oh, I wouldn't say dead zones aren't so bad. And this is Relim who kind of like starts walking backward in the tunnels with his arms like propped underneath their head as they do. And they're like expertly just like walking backward. And everyone knows Relim as this kind of like gangly, like lots of piercings, lots of tattoos, very inventive storyteller. Uh, I have a cousin who uh, went into a dead zone a couple years ago, came out half uh, lizard. What? Yeah, half lizard wasn't fully human by the end. We had to put him down. What? Yeah, and that's if you're lucky enough to come out. Oh, come on. I'm not a child. Well, you're, you're, you're barely not a child, Rune. You've only got four years of, of mind shifts under your belt. Oh, that's plenty. Besides, I've seen some shit. Oh, yeah? Like what? Real big rats? <laughs> Listen, you don't even get to 18 in Iron 42 without seeing some shit. You know that as just as well as I do. Yeah, yeah, Relim, lay off. I mean, unless you want me to tell Rune about the fourth girl that rejected you from the Iron Fiddle last night. We don't have to get that far. We don't have to. 
You don't have to get that far. Uh, I guess she just wasn't buying what I was selling. Is anyone buying what you're selling? Which is a crock of bullshit, right? Because all your stories are bullshit. Hey, 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 kids love them. Kids and ladies love them. What can I say? Uh-huh. Not those four ladies last night. Hey, <laughs> Leah raises a hand for you to high five. Ha <laughs> got him. Yeah, 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 all right. Well, you better watch your back in the dead zone, Rune. Or the ghost of a god might get ya. Ugh, stop. <laughs> Seriously. Hey, Lyron, wait up. Uh, and Velum turns and, like, catches up with a friend at the front. And Aaliyah, like, as you're continuing through this tunnel, kind of looks down at you and Opal looks up at you from the other arm. And Aaliyah, in, in like, a moment of sincerity, goes, you know, you, you never really have seen or gone into a dead zone before, Rune. But... You're going to be okay, all right? We're all watching out for you. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, we're all, we're a team, right? Yes, and there is no I in team, as they say, but there is an I in kill. There's also an I in witness, but he can't see into the dead zones, can he? Nope, none of them can. (laughs) Not even the most powerful of them. Oh, well, we'll be fine. That's right. We will be fine. After all, if the devil makes good on his promise, there shouldn't be anything in the dead zone to menace us. And at that, Rune gets a little quiet. Their face, like, closes up a little bit. And they look up to where Zhang is walking at the front, I think. They kind of stare at his back for a moment, trying to find that sense of stability. Are we really sure? The devil can be trusted for something like this. (laughs) Of course not, kid. Divinity doesn't make promises to things they don't even see as people. I mean, in the eyes of a god, us mortals, we're less than ants. We're dirt. But you know what they say about the devil? He's a god of his word. His whole thing is deals and contracts, right? All these gods, they they all have some sort of, I don't know, inner law that guides them, makes them click. I mean, Athamas down there clicks off of, you know, our life force, and the witness clicks off of what gods knows what. Tiang says the devil clicks off deals, so we made a deal. It's gonna be honored. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, we can... We can do it. And Opal actually reaches up and squeezes your hand. Right, like reassuringly. And her hand is so clammy. <laughs> it is so clammy and cold and kind of wet. Uh, but she, she squeezes you with this kind of like solid reassurance. It's going to be okay, Rune. Everything's going to change, like you said, for the better. <laughs> I just hope the cradle knows what's coming. And you continue to walk. Uh, Rune, you are very familiar with the mines, right? Like you know all of these tunnels like the back of your hand. So you know that you've never been down this one, and you're pretty sure you've never worked any adjacent shafts here either. After all, Iron 42 rarely, if ever, closes down tunnels wholesale. Usually only like a section is blocked off for demolition or to clear out like a toxic buildup of gases or something like that. Uh, And there are only really two reasons why Iron 42 might block off an entire tunnel. One is that it's so structurally unsound that any kind of excavation runs the risk of collapsing an entire sector. And another is that it eventually leads to a dead zone. And it is, of course, forbidden 
to venture into a dead zone. Uh, you've been told your entire life that dead zones are extremely dangerous. They're teeming with hungry, vicious ghosts of mortals and gods who met violent ends. And just like Realm said, you know, even though like that story about his cousin was probably half bullshit, there is a nugget of truth there, right? Dead zones are overrun by monsters, by irradiated magic. And it is said that people who venture into dead zones come back monsterized if they come back at all. And crucially, dead zones also nullify divine magic. So all gods, minor and major, are significantly weakened while they're in or even near a dead zone. And it is with this knowledge in mind, with this maybe hope brimming within you, that you, Jiang, Opal, Aaliyah, and your family of heretics heads deep into the earth. The smell of powder, of oil, of grease, and eventually just cave swirls in your nostrils. Your footsteps echo off the narrow walls in a constellation of compressed sound from all these dozen heretics. You can hear your friends talking to each other all around you in these low murmuring voices, and occasionally like a laugh bubbles up or like a grouchy sentiment. But all in all, actually, your companions you're noticing are fairly somber. There is a sense of urgency and trepidation kind of hanging in the air that's as thick and heavy as the molten slag of Iron 42's furnaces. And as the shadows kind of dance along the walls, illuminated by your group's various lamps and torches, there's this overwhelming sense of anxious excitement ascending through the heretics. From Aaliyah, whose like arm is still swung around your shoulders, but she's like tapping your shoulder kind of nervously. From Opal, who's now squeezing your palm as you get closer and closer to the dead zone. Even from like Realm's nervous laughter, like bouncing off the walls ahead of you, right? And Xiang's like solid, stable anchor of a voice that seems to be like the main thing containing all this anxious excitement. There is a shared feeling among all of you that everything is going to change very soon. What's that last image we see of you, Rune, before we reach the dead zone? I think Rune hangs back for a moment. <laughs> this is only their third mission, but it's so exciting. They cannot possibly believe that everything in their small, insignificant life has led them here. To change the cradle. To fight for a different world. To Go so far as to make a deal with the devil, yes. But to change everything. So that maybe they could dream of different things. They, they won't dream of holes anymore. They won't dream of sticks of dynamite, of rocks, of sorting rocks. They won't have that dream where they're standing on the street corner watching ghosts go by. That maybe there's a different world a different world. And they hang back, kind of in the shadow of this tunnel, letting it surround them for a moment, press in to their skin, before their eyes flutter open and they jog after Aaliyah and catch up with their friends. <laughs> Wait up, don't leave me behind. <laughs> we better catch up, Slowpoke, come on. Okay, this is it, right? Yes, this is it. I'm gonna go walk next to Xiang. All right then, <laughs> teacher's favorite. Shut up. Hey, hey, hey. I made do with my jealousy years ago, all right? Now go, talk to Xiang. Okay. And Rune kind of like 
weaves their way through the bodies up to the front. Diang is currently talking kind of in hushed tones with Freya at the very front. They're maybe like 10 feet ahead of everyone else. Uh, and you, you squeeze past Bronwyn, who's like, who takes up the entire width of the tunnel. And Bronwyn had left Bug and Beetle behind uh, with Rexha, of course, because this is definitely not safe. Uh, Bronwyn just goes, oh, uh, excuse me. Sorry about that. Coming through. You finally reach Diang and Freya. Uh, they're kind of talking, talking, and as they notice you approach, like, they both kind of stop talking, and uh, they slow down so you can catch up. Rune. Hey. Hey. Just, I mean, I just wanted to, I wanted to see the dead zone as soon as we got there. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Of course you did. And there's nothing to fear. The devil will uphold his end of the bargain. There shouldn't be anything there waiting for us. But if there is? That's why we come armed. And Rune kind of like finally rests their hand at their hip uh, where there are two short blades kind of like sticking out of their waistband. They're about like the length of Rune's forearm uh, with a long hilt that doesn't have a guard or anything. It's just hilt that immediately turns into blade. And at the end of these two swords are chain linked chain, really holding each end together. Uh, and that chain is kind of looped around Rune's waist a few times and kind of hangs down and tinkles a little as they walk. And Rune rests their hand on top of this sword and feels the groove along their thumb before nodding. Yeah, we can fight ghosts, right? <laughs> well, I guess we're going to find out tonight. And Rune... And Xiang exchanges a glance with Freya. There's like an unspoken understanding between the two of them and Freya kind of slows down to like give the two of you some privacy as you continue walking forward. You know why everyone calls us heretics. I don't have to give you the old lesson, but um, you know what? Screw it, I will. One last time. Ugh. They call us heretic because we are blasphemers. We do not believe in the absolute power of gods and divinity. We believe that it is mortals' right, privilege, and destiny to shape our own fate. And as things in the cradle go, we can't do that. We can't have that. We must tithe to Athamos every season, giving him a little bit of what few years we have left on our own lifespan. The witness sees all. We cannot act in freedom. The below cages anyone that speaks out against this inequity. So they call us heretic. They call us sacrilege. They call us witch. They call us blasphemer. And we say yes. Why yes, we are all those things because heretic is not such a bad thing to be. I asked you this question when you first came to me, wanting to join us. And I ask you again now on the eve of your third mission, Rune. Why do you want to be a heretic? Because I want to choose when I die. I don't want to tithe and tithe and tithe my life away to Athamos until he decides when my life is up. I want to decide. I want to go down swinging. Good answer. All right, kid. Welcome to your first dead zone. And the two of you pause at the mouth of a tunnel now. Uh, you've reached the end of the series of mines, and it opens up into a vast, 
underground cathedral? Yes, cathedral. Marble pillars extend 60 feet up into the air, holding up a vaulted ceiling with once colorful, now faded fresco paintings of, what are those? Angels? Yes, angels. Humanoid shapes with wings and eyes, spinning wheels of gears and flame, rows and rows of teeth and tongue and horn and bone. Windows lime this cathedral, stained glass apertures that look blankly out into nothing. Just black expanses of dirt, earth, soil. A balcony level, about 20 feet up, overlooks the main hall of this cathedral where a single red tongue of carpet extends from the massive double oak doors all the way up to the altar. And the altar is a sight to behold, a slab of gelid stone, pure white in its majesty, the length of three people easily and the width of two, laden with candlesticks of pure gold, but no candles, incense holders, but no incense, ancient rotting black things that used to be offerings, perhaps, food or scraps of meat that have long since fossilized. There are also gems, rubies, Diamonds, sapphires, fat, luscious coins of gold and silver and bronze. And facing the altar, in perfectly arranged rows, are the pews. Wooden pews, moldy and rotting, but somehow still standing. And at the mouth of this tunnel, uh, which is only maybe like four people across, you and the heretics take in this dead zone with careful eyes. The tunnel has been bored into the western side of the cathedral, uh, halfway between the wooden doors and the altar with a column of pews in front of you. It sort of intersects like uh, at a perpendicular angle into the cathedral. Rune, as you take this dead zone in, what do you do? Rune stops breathing and doesn't remember until the pressure in their chest peaks and claws kind of open at their throat and they inhale sharply, breathing in as they take this resplendent cathedral underground. There are no ghosts. There are no monsters. They don't feel a sickening turn in the back of their mind like everyone had always warned them. They don't feel the oppressive force of divinity pinning them and ripping their bones out one by one by one. They just feel small but at the same time so large that if they kicked even a pebble, they feel like they'd be able to hear it from miles away. And wide-eyed, they turn their gaze over to Xiang. What? How did this place get down here? <gasps> One of the many mysteries of the cradle. Huh. There's gems. Don't touch those. No one touch the gems. Freya, Bronrun, Emrys... To the south, everyone else, let's secure the perimeter, all right? Don't touch anything, weapons drawn, be on the ready. Don't trust anything you see here. And Rune shifts. Like, from this kind of, like, 18-year-old, a little spunky, a little arrogant, a little, you know, they're 18. They're very gay. They're trying, they're, they're seeking parental approval. Uh, they shift a little bit to something more focused. Someone who has had to fight to live for a long time. 
and they draw both of their blades, this kind of shiny black iron, the pinnacle of what iron 42 produces, born of the stone the same way that Rune is. And it like shines in this kind of low light for half a moment as the chain begins to drag on the ground behind them as Rune moves forward to help secure the perimeter. Sort of still marveling at everything, but in the way that they're looking for the shadows that creep and crawl and, well, looking for anything that they shouldn't see. Mm. Yeah, as you step in, there's kind of like maybe like a five foot drop from where the tunnel dumps in, because it's like literally bored into the side of the cathedral. You get a sense that whatever poor Iron 42 miners, like they opened up this dead zone and they went, nope, and like backed up. <laughs> like they were like, nope, no thank you. And they backed up, right? Uh, so you and all the other heretics drop maybe like five feet, six feet, like onto the pure marble floor of this cathedral. And you like start to like trickle out like a, a convoy of ants entering like a huge hall. And you like look around you. This place is massive. This is the main hall of like a huge cathedral. Even by cathedral standards, it's very large. Like this can easily seat a flock of like over 200 people here, right? Like the altar is big. The, the vaulted ceilings extend up like the arms of giants trying to steeple their fingers up at the apex together to, to meet. And as you walk, yes? Can I use a move here? A mortal move? Yes, you can, go ahead. I would like to feel someone or something out. When I try to feel out a person, place, or thing, say what I want clarity about and answer one. Go for it, yes. Uh, so what do you want clarity about? I want clarity about how this dead zone is currently existing, I suppose. Like, what is the thing that makes this a dead zone and not just a really weird thing that exists in the mine tunnels? Why don't you answer one first, and then I'll answer you, and then answer the other question as well. Okay. I'll take what feels welcoming on the surface. I think it is so quiet and so clean in here. Like everything in Iron 42 is covered with a thick layer of soot. Everything. People, places, food, blankets, everything is covered in a little bit of soot and dust, a little bit of wear, a little bit of apocalypse that hangs on everything and everyone. And this is the cleanest place that Rune has ever been or ever seen. And the fact that it has been untouched, question mark, since it was discovered and closed off is, well, that seems at least a little bit magical. And there's something inviting about a place like this, a place that is so new that it feels like it was just birthed out of the earth itself. And I feel like that's what feels welcoming on the surface to Rune. I will now give you the clarity you see. You asked me what makes this place a dead zone. And the answer is, a god died here. This isn't just some random cathedral in the middle of the earth as you do. This is the graveyard of a deity. And typically, dead zones are also populated, at least according to folklore, according to legends and stories you've been told ever since you were a kid, right, to school you into behaving, that dead zones contain bodies. Bodies of the gods that died there like actual physical corpses, right? Rotting with irradiated divinity. And I'll now answer the other question left untouched, which is what feels unnerving when I peer deeper. There's no body here. 
There's no miasma of rotten magic, there are no gibbering beasts, there is no ravenous maw of a monster ready to snap up these feckless heretics. It is completely empty. Hey, Xiang, isn't there supposed to be something here? Xiang's axe is drawn. It's not lifted, but it is drawn. And they're sort of like dragging it on the uh, flagstones kind of behind them, holding it up just a little. Uh, they are halfway up the steps toward the altar. Everyone else is sort of fanned out behind them, like the V in the wake of a shark. And I think you're the only one that's like close to them, like maybe with your foot up on the, on the very first step uh, leading up to the altar. Yeah, the devil promised that they would clear out this dead zone but preserve the veil that nullifies other divinities' power here. So we could set up roots here. The optimist in me says the devil did it already, but the realist in me says there's something else afoot. Yeah, you're not much of an optimist. And there's something small in Rune that hates the way that their voice sounds, the tremble that it has. And they realize, kind of belatedly, that they are scared. Mm. Zhang hears that. There's a pause. Their left foot is on, like, the very top step, and they turn around to look down at you. Uh, and there's a kind of just, like, ever-present light in this place, I think, that you're starting to pick up on. Just light everywhere. And they're kind of limbed by it, right? They look down at you, they're silhouetted, and you can see their face kind of cast in shadow with a halo of light behind Jiang's head, right? Illuminating that top knot, right? The mullet that spills down past their shoulders, and they say, Hey, kid, it's gonna be okay, all right? We're all here. We're all together. A single link breaks. A chain holds. And Rune steals themselves. And they pull taut their sword. And the sound of the metal, like, pulling taut, matches the rhythm of their own heartbeat. Right. Right. Hey. And no matter what happens, all of us are always here with you, okay? Uh, yeah, of course you are. Good. Good. Devil! Devil, if you are here, show yourself. We have no time nor patience for games. What is this? No response. Jiang's voice just echoes off of the huge cathedral walls. And even though Jiang's voice is so resonant, so booming, so commanding, something about the vastness of this place swallows his voice up. And Jiang <clears throat> clears their throat again. Devil, reveal yourself. Now. Haven't you ever heard the saying, the devil's in the details? There is a sensation like falling. Like your heart is plummeting through your chest, your guts, your groin, like the cathedral is opening up into bottomless void beneath you and then you realize what this feeling is. It's the presence of divinity. Reaching down from the ceiling, peeling himself away from the rest of the fresco paintings of angels is the devil. 
He reaches an arm down towards your party, and as he does, the painted feathery wings splayed behind him flay themselves off the plaster in a shower of golden and crimson light. And the devil elegantly dips his legs beneath him and floats onto the ground, his bare toes alighting upon the altar. He is ten feet tall, and he is not made of flesh but pure magic. Magic the color and texture of fresco tiles his skin light brown, his hair long and black and draping past his shoulders. A white robe covers him just barely, revealing a V of toned muscle cinched at the waist by a blood red sash. Two horns, the color of charcoal, break up and back from his forehead, and four wings splay open behind him. The two wings on top are white and feathery and 15 feet long in either direction, and the two on the bottom are black and made of leather, like a bat's wings, and just a little bit smaller but not by much. And both pairs of wings stretch out for a minute and then fold behind his back. And the devil's face is an aberration of beauty. It is the most perfect thing you've ever laid your gaze upon. His eyes are the thing that strike you. They're crimson, bright crimson, red as blood, red as fire. There is something glowing and immaculate about them, like they're a glimpse into an endless immolation that's burning just beneath the surface of this form he's presenting to you right now. And finally, the devil's shadow is the height of the cathedral wall behind him. 60 feet tall, a dozen feet wide, many times larger than this 10-foot form he's showing you right now. Rune. You've been in the presence of gods before. Specifically, you've been in the presence of Athamos the Unsighing Toil, the god of Iron 42 to whom you must tithe. And if Athamos is kind of like a drop of water, then the devil is the ocean. There is no comparing the power between a minor and a major god. The difference between their divinities is unfathomable. If you are a mere ant to Athamos, then Athamos is a speck to the Devil's Mountain. How do you respond? How, what is your immediate reaction to this, Rune? Have you ever seen a rabid animal? <laughs> uh, no. The first time I saw a rabid animal, something in my body stopped me from moving any closer before I had even realized that I had seen it. And I think that self-same feeling comes over Rune, where everything about them freezes. Like their blood runs cold all the way, and there is a feeling deep underneath their ribcage. And they know that they are in the presence of a predator, of something that could not even kill them. Death is so small compared to whatever this feels like. And Rune wants to be a speck. They want to be an ant. They do not want to be seen or noticed, but they are so close to him that they cannot help but feel drawn closer. 
like half of their soul shrinks away and the other layers itself over top of their skin pulled toward him. Like gravity is rewriting all of their molecules at the same time as they stare up at this god, not a minor god, like Athamos, a major god. The devil smiles. He has fangs. Don't you know, patience is a virtue. We are on the precipice of a monumental change. We should enjoy the eve of metamorphosis, shouldn't we? Diang, who in the entire time you've known him has never backed down from a challenge, shrinks. For just a second, just a heartbeat, Diang, this mountain of a rebel leader, suddenly seems very small and very, very breakable. And then he gathers up his courage. He tightens his grip around the handle of his axe, but he doesn't raise it. He does, however, take that final step up onto this raised dais to the very head of the crowd of heretics and faces the devil. He sort of plants himself between you and the devil and the altar. Devil, we have a deal. You are to cleanse this dead zone, but preserve the veil so that we might create a new home unyoked by divinity. And in return, we shall offer you precious knowledge. Knowledge of Athamos's heart and his downfall, so that you might have your fill of eating. <laughs> Xiao Jiang a deal's a deal. You don't have to repeat the terms to me. I signed on the dotted line. You signed on the dotted line. That's it. All that's left is to do it. But what's the rush? Why not enjoy this time we have left with each other before everything changes? Before you go off to make your little utopia untethered by godhood, and I go off to have another tasty snack. Hmm? Devil? We are ready. Are you? Oh, such impudence. I understand the urge now to squash you all like bugs. And for a second, the 60-foot shadow peels away from the ceiling and hovers over all of you like a falling night sky. And then the devil says, just kidding. And the shadow is back on the wall. Very well. Very, very, very well. If you wish to expedite your journey, go ahead and spill your guts about Athamos. Not so fast. The dead zone. Is it cleansed? Is the veil still intact? Well, you tell me. I don't see any hungry ghosts or mean little monsters. I also don't see Athamos skittering up here on all hundreds screaming about conspiracy. What do you think? Did you cleanse the zone? Or did you not? Oh my gods, you were a buzzkill. Yes, I cleansed the zone. I ate every single lost soul before you heretics arrived and even had my fill of the corpse of the poor god that was slain here. 
Oh, fun name, by the way, your little faction. Heretics. An insult you've reclaimed from the very sheep you now seek to guide. I know your philosophies are popular out here in the nowhere towns, where your gods are cruel and your prospects few, but you must know that heresy is a capital crime in the Citadel. We're not in the Citadel. Hmm. And yet, you tithe to a god that tithes to the six. Tell me, what exactly is your plan after you secure your little slice of heaven below Earth? This zone isn't exactly large enough to hold an entire town, much less a district. You'll have to keep feeding me gods if you want to expand your little mortal utopia. I sense the beginning of a beautiful friendship, don't you, Executioner? At that, Xiang looks at the devil with an unreadable expression. And it is the same expression that flits across their face whenever their past comes up. And Rune, you've known Xiang for years at this point. You have no idea where they originally came from or what their history is. All you know is they're not from Iron 42 originally, but a lot of heretics aren't. That's not necessarily unusual. But this term, this epithet, Executioner is the first you've ever heard in reference to Xiang. And for a moment, Xiang is silent. They don't say anything. Enrune flits their gaze to the devil for the first time attempting to look at him directly. Whatever it takes. Even a deal with you. <laughs> Oh, it's a funny little bug you have at your side, Xiang. The devil doesn't look at Yurun when you talk. This entire time, both of his crimson eyes have been trained on Xiang. When you speak, his eyes don't move from Xiang's face. He, like, isn't even talking to you. You're not even sure if he has acknowledged you or recognizes you at any point. The only mortal the devil has been addressing or acknowledging in any way this entire time has been Xiang. You... Tithing for them. Oh, yes, I can see it. The cut strings of fate hovering off your shoulders. How many years did you give up to Athamos to save these people here? Hmm? These ash-streaked faces. These little soot balls for lives. He gave up everything. Rune. Thank you. I got this. And Tiang gathers themselves again, right? Like you speaking up behind them seems to have reinvigorated them. They're no longer speechless. They like readjust their grip on their axe, square their shoulders and look up at the devil, like looks him straight in the eyes, which you don't know how he's able to do that because looking at the devil's eyes is like looking directly into the sun. Those burning pits of crimson, those burning flames. And Tiang says, enough, devil. We're ready. <laughs> All right, fine, fine, fine. Let's get this over with, if that's what you're all so eager to do. Your end of the bargain, Xiang? Xiang takes a deep breath. They close their eyes. They clench their fists. 
And when they look back up at the devil again, there is nothing but determination in their face. The heart of Athamos, the Ten of Wands, his true form, is a massive white centipede. The downfall of Athamos, the unsighing toil, his only weakness, is the soft flesh underneath his impenetrable chitin. Oh, that's underwhelming. <laughs> Who would have thought that the way to squash a bug is to squash it? Ah, well, a deal's a deal. I suppose I'm having insect for dinner. Oh, and one more thing. At that, Jiang frowns, tilts his head to the side. All that stuff about the devil needing to honor deals. Well, it's a myth. And for a split second, Jiang looks scared. And because Jiang looks scared, the other heretics in the cathedral also start to look scared. Just kidding. <laughs> the looks on your faces. Oh. oh, I'm a god of my word. And the devil snaps. And Xiang erupts into flame. The screaming starts instantly, but it doesn't come from Xiang. It comes from the other heretics. Reyna immediately shrieks and runs forward, but Freya grabs her by the arm, holding her back. Opal, who was behind you this whole time, kind of staggers backward, and Bronwyn steps forward, their face alight with the fire that's now burning Xiang's skin, their clothes, their hair, and that's when Xiang begins to scream. It is a scream of pain, it is a scream of anger, and overwhelmingly, it is a scream of fear. And ablaze, Jiang staggers to the side, the smell of burning flesh now starting to fill the room, a black smoke coiling up toward the ceiling. And Jiang is shrieking through his own cries of pain. Liar! You fucking liar! This, this was not the deal! This was not what we said! This was not... And Freya is now drawing her weapons, and Griffin is drawing his weapons, and Dalvai is drawing their weapons, and Xiang rushes forward, still on fire, heaving his axe up in a powerful strike you've seen separate heads from bodies, up toward the devil, and the devil snaps, and Xiang crumbles into ash. And all hell breaks loose. God Killer First Blood is performed by Connie Chong and C. Thomas. Follow Connie on Twitter and TikTok at ByConnieChong, and C on Twitter at CPlaysRPG. To play your very own campaign of God Killer and support our show, pre-order God Killer First Blood Edition on itch.io today. Transplaner RPG is made possible by your Patreon contributions and sponsors who believe in our mission to tell great stories and lift up our community. Sponsors like ExplainTrade.com. Explain Trade is a negotiation skills consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines on Twitter, has asked us to say, and I quote, please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy giving all his money to trans and queer art and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. 
We love you, Dimitri, and heed his words. Sign up for our Patreon today at patreon.com slash transplanerrpg. First Blood is also sponsored by Start Playing Games, the largest online platform for players to find tabletop role-playing campaigns of your very own. Join a table that fits your schedule today at startplaying.games. We are also sponsored by Magpie Games, the independent TTRPG publisher behind such incredible works as Masks A New Generation, Avatar Legends, Urban Shadows, Bluebeard's Bride, and much, much more. Check out their amazing selection of Powered by the Apocalypse games at magpiegames.com. Finally, we're proud to be sponsored by Roll. Roll is an online RPG platform that serves as a video-first alternative to complex virtual tabletops. Build, modify, and play your very own games of Godkiller on Roll today at playroll.com.